Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, Brad Spielberger, all here live on YouTube from Western and Southern Studio here in Cincinnati. I did tweet it out. We're there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Good we work. See the, we see the logo. Live in the Western and Southern <clears throat> Studio, fed on Brown Bear. We had Brown Bear. Shout out to Brown. You're really trying to get that Brown Bear sponsorship. I mean, look, I will do anything to get that Brown Bear sponsorship. That's there we, some uh, good, good stuff. Excellent local bakery here. Yeah. And uh, they do have good stuff every day. If you're listening, one of the two people that works at Brown Bear, <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate you and we will, uh, we're happy to push your products. And if not, we'll just continue eating it. Yeah. No, the hype is real. The hype is real. Yeah, yeah. You, <clears throat> got, you got to experience it today, yeah. Brad. That's good. All right. We're here at uh, day two. So uh, we're on Roger's watch. Yeah. Roger's watch. Us and everybody else. Distant cousin to uh, Panda watch here. So we've got uh, Roger's. We've got Zeke watch as well. There is some buzz that Zeke Elliott is going to be released by the Dallas Cowboys at 3 p.m. today. Is that the official start of the league year? Uh, 4 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. They said 3 p.m. When Dallas people say 3 p.m. Central. Dallas. Texas yeah. time. Central time. It's ridiculous. Everybody speaking Eastern time, please. Mm. Everybody. Um, so that's what we're, uh, that's what we're doing here. Um, had a great show yesterday, breaking down day one of free agency. Day two, other stuff happened. So let's, let's get into it. A couple trades. We had uh, Stephon Gilmore going to the Dallas Cowboys from the Colts. And Darren Waller. I mean, we had to. Did anybody go back and delete my 10 minute segment on the Raiders needing to keep Darren Waller yesterday? We talked right after we finished our segment breaking it down. How we're like, Steve, Steve's going to be upset about this move. Very upset. They need to keep him. They need to have, you know, put, put all the resources in, try to compete with the Chiefs. And then you leave the office two hours later. He's a New York Giant. So. Apparently, the Raiders weren't listening to me yesterday. Yeah. But, you know, during the reaction thing, we, I mean, I made the point that I agree with you. I think if you're going to try and compete with a team like Kansas City, trading away an impact playmaker, even if, you know, he's reached that age and the price tag and the injury history, like, you don't get better by trading him away. So I, I'm with you. I don't quite see the benefit of doing that if you're the Raiders. It was pick 100. So let's start with this. I know we're just going to be all over the place. But Darren Waller going to the Giants, pick 100, the third-round pick. 
that they the Giants got for Kadarius Tony, and I my my leanings. If you go back and rewatch all of our free agent shows from like the past five or six years, how many years in a row did I say sign Jason Verrett? Always sign Jason Verrett. Sign mm-hmm. all sign OBJ if you get him. You know on the cheap. Give me all the guys coming off of injury. We'll talk about Emmanuel Mosley and the Lions. Give me all the guys coming off injury. All the guys that have question marks. All the guys who were once good and perhaps can be good again. So I love this move for the Giants, and I wanted the Raiders to keep Darren Waller because I feel like that was their opportunity to compete when they just had incredible playmakers. Somebody needs to plot out, you know, a roster based off your tenets, you know? Sign all the guys coming off injury. Sign all the speed, one-dimensional wide receivers. Yes. I just yeah. I want to know what that looks like from a st- you know an all-22 point of view. Give me all the hybrids. I yeah. want every slot safety hybrid. I want every edge linebacker hybrid. Right. Positionless defense. Positionless defense. Speed wide receivers and injured people. Yeah. Maybe I should uh, I should get this down on paper. I mean, it's probably part of the GM interview. Yeah. That I'm gonna. I just I, I want. Going I need somebody to sketch that out and give me an idea of what that roster actually looks like. I've said this for a while. That'd be a fun off-season task for us because you have a bunch of like you love uh, Matt Ionitis. You have Matt Ionitis protecting T.J. Edwards in your mm. defense, right? All your favorite players. We should build teams with our favorite players. Yeah, I mean, I tend to just sort of focus on specific players that I really like, as opposed to having wild sweeping tenets of uh, all these guys is a concept that I love signing. I have types. Yeah, I absolutely have types. Um, any, I know you guys touched on Darren Waller from uh, in, an individual video here on the YouTube channel, but anything else on Darren Waller to the Giants? Go Giants, ahead. Needed, Giants needed to do – they need to make yeah, these types of moves. I, I, I like it from a Giants point of view. I think it's a risk worth taking for them, and it didn't cost them too much either from a contract or a uh, – you know, the, the trade collateral point of view, just pick number 100. Um, I don't think it keeps them out of a you know, receiver market either. No. It probably keeps them away from a – a new Compkins, which is what the talk was before that, but they can still draft a guy, like they can still add weaponry there. Um, and he's of a caliber that wasn't really available in, you know, the open market from a free agent point of view. So from their point of view, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, my only criticism against it is coming from the Raiders side. Yeah. So look, there's, there's obviously some risk with the, uh, with the injuries for Waller, but I love the upside play there for the Giants. Um, how about the <clears throat> the Stephon Gilmore trade going to the Dallas Cowboys? Another one where I lean toward I would make this move. You know, I'm good on this for the Cowboys because even though Gilmore's what 32 years old, still could have some good football in him. In, in that that cornerback two spot for Dallas was just a disaster last season. I think that's the big thing too. Is he was the top corner in Indy last year. Now you go with Trevon Diggs, you can maybe put him in more favorable matchups, things like that. Yes, he's old, but he was still pretty good last year. Sounds like he had a surgery, you know, last year as well. Got healthy for the first time in a while. I, I love this move. It's less than ten million dollars in pay for one season as of right now. Dallas needed to do something. You know, they might not get Odell Beckham Jr. after all. After courting him for for months on end, uh, I like this move a lot. Can you, Brad, from a financial perspective, what's the advantage to trading for players? Because the teams that are, we've talked about like dead money. When, when you sign the player, the, the team that signs a player, they're always going to be on the hook for dead money and all that stuff. So is there an advantage to be had in trading for players when the signing bonus is essentially paid for? 
Absolutely. I think it's something that has led to more teams starting to be a little bit aggressive there. You look at DJ Moore, for example. Technically, he's going into his extension in this year, and the Bears will pay him less than $17.5 million over three years, right? So you get the number one wide receiver, you get him fresh off the extension, he has cash from the signing bonus, but you didn't pay it. Um, I think that is why one reason why we're seeing more and more teams be more proactive in this market. Obviously, some guys, they want a new deal as soon as they get to the new team, right. um, which is a whole separate issue. But you know, for him, like I said, he, he's technically playing in the first year of his deal in Chicago this year. So you get Trevon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore on the back end there. I love that. Micah Parsons up front. Dallas's defense already pretty good last year despite having cornerback issues. This, this potentially solves that. Yeah, and quietly, you know, Gilmore's been very good since he was traded away from New England. Like, the, he's obviously been injured at times, but when he came back for Carolina um, in that sort of run of 300 snaps or whatever, he played pretty well uh and then obviously in indianapolis he played well again like he had a, a coverage grade over 81 last season um in each of those two years the passer rating into his coverage was about 80 that's almost 20 points at this point lower than the average passer rating just across the board so he is still you know a very good capable starting corner and now he gets the sort of the james bradbury boost potentially where he gets to go to be the number two opposite a guy who's playing at a high level as well um and it sort of changes the whole dynamic now you don't have to be the elite number one drawing the toughest assignments etc cetera, etc cetera, and you can actually potentially get a boost by going up against weaker opponents every single time yeah, so i love that move for dallas because um there was a point where stefan gilmore was the clear-cut top cornerback in the league for about three years plus in new england not only the highest graded during that period of time but in the most difficult most challenging role playing man coverage so even a uh, uh, slightly declining Stephon Gilmore is still very good, as you guys have laid out. So the other news in Dallas, of course, is Zeke Elliott potentially getting released here. So how did we get here, guys? How did we get here to Zeke Elliott signing a crazy contract, what, 2019? Yep. And now released just a few years later. Yeah, I mean, the thing here is once the Tony Pollard franchise tag came in, you had to think this was a possibility. We've seen the running back market be incredibly slow. Basically, the only notable deal is David Montgomery getting three years, $18 million from the Detroit Lions. A solid contract, but obviously nothing, nothing crazy there. And I think once Aaron Jones took that pay cut in Green Bay, $5 million pay cut, that I think was a signal to Ezekiel Elliott, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, all these guys that, hey, teams are probably going to consider cutting you if you don't take a pay cut as well. Um, and I think Ezekiel Elliott maybe called their bluff in Dallas, and, and they, they're going they're going with it, saving about $11 million there. You just you can't be paying two running backs $22 million in 2023. I mean, it just sort of highlights like how terrible that contract was. This is basically the first opportunity they have to get away from it and they're doing it even though it's going to require, you know, a bunch of dead money being eaten. He's technically only just sort of into the extension part of the deal. Like, this is just one of the worst contracts from a team point of view that's been signed in recent memory. Zeke Elliott is still only 27 years old somehow, and he feels like a 35-year-old broken-down running back. Like, just an absolute catastrophe from a Dallas point of view. And, it, you know, that cost them Amari Cooper who they're still trying to sort of replace in that offense in terms of production, in terms of what it does to the entire passing game. The Zeke Elliott contract prevented them from doing certain things or forced them to do certain other things and offered nothing in return. Well, well that's what I wanted to break down. I wanted to ask Brad, in, you in particular, we talk a lot about the, the running back contracts and how, how bad they are, right? 
what what are the actual what is the opportunity cost what are you actually leaving on the table when Zeke is making that much money is it is it an Amari Cooper that they had to you know get out from under that contract or is it just another starter at linebacker or another starter at safety what is when teams overpay for a running back besides not getting the actual production back from the running back you can get them cheaper right what what do you, how up against the cap are they and how much do you feel like that actually hinders other moves that they can make i think it's more of those smaller moves i mean looking particularly at dallas if you want to keep a connor mcgovern you want to keep a connor williams you know two interior guys they've lost the last two off seasons now on what five to seven million per year deals like probably impacted to a degree. Amari Cooper, I mean, yeah, maybe that there was an impact there. Zeke had, what, $12.5 million guaranteed last year. That could have been going elsewhere, uh, but you had to pay that. You couldn't get out of that money. Like you said, the first opportunity they get to move on, they do it. If they could have moved on last year and kept Amari Cooper, they probably would have done that right. if that option was available to them. So, you know, I'm not going to say it like outright prevents anything, but it does. Look, it's also not just a cap. It's cash. I mean, Jerry Jones is, okay, well, I'd pay this guy this amount of cash this year. Therefore, I don't want to spend, you know, X elsewhere. Every, every move has an opportunity cost. Yeah, it's just I, I just want to be able to like lay those things out because we, we, we speak generally about all this stuff. Bad running back contract, but sometimes it's good to hear what was maybe left I mean, on the table. Elliot is now like the true poster child for the pitfalls of running back dynamics, right? Like he was drafted really high, had success, and Dallas had this, this uh, choice. You know, this fork in the road came along when his second contract was due. Do you pay him the big money or do you walk away and repeat the whole process over again, even if you don't draft him as high as Zeke was? Um, Pollard coming along sort of immediately highlighted how bad the decision they made was. We heard from people in the building in Dallas essentially saying, like, we're lobbying for them not to do this, but they're probably going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, they do it. Pollard comes along, immediately shows how bad a decision it was, and then Zeke's sort of ability, potential, like his peak just disappeared. And you've got this guy in his mid-20s looking like a broken-down shell of himself, all the while another guy who came along who you drafted for significantly less capital, but a lot less money tied up in, is dramatically outperforming him all the way along, and you're stuck with this deal that you can't get away from for years. So, like, this is basically the nightmare scenario for any team now looking at, do we give this guy that, like, Saquon Barkley, right? The Giants trying to figure out what this deal looks like. The Zeke Elliott thing is the nightmare scenario for what can happen if you commit that big contract to a running back. Here's the timing thing, too, where basically he signed for $15 million a year and a strong contract, no funny money. You know, I know Alvin Kamara's deal is listed at $15 million a year. It's not. But, um, you know, and that was the inflection point to where he gets that, McCaffrey gets his deal. We might not see another running back signed for $15 million a year for multiple years. And he signed that back in 2019. As we know, every market goes up and up and up and up. That was finally the last tipping point of, okay, we probably should focus resources elsewhere. And you mentioned a pre-show. They also had Jalen Ramsey sitting on the board who went one pick later you know that would have been nice <laughs> that was so they picked zeke at four jalen ramsey goes at five jerry jones somewhat famously Ronnie says, stanley well, at six i think too sorry but yeah. yeah yeah there were there were good players there and uh jerry jones makes a comment like well zeke's gonna touch the ball 20 times a game and jalen ramsey might touch the ball one time a game i mean you, you know honestly, a quarterback right you can honestly argue start to finish that this is a master class in how to yeah. mismanage the running back position from drafting him higher than he should go because from day one he's already being paid like an all pro and it cost you an all pro cornerback or an all pro left tackle or whatever you want to do like so step one was wrong 
for, for two different reasons, it was wrong. It was too high from a contract standpoint and the opportunity cost was like all pro players at more important positions. And then they like doubled down on the wrongness by extending him to the monster contract, which saddled them with this deal for years. Like this is, when did they get drafted? 2016. 2016. This is now seven years of mistake at one position. The worst part about it though is they they were fooled into thinking that Zeke was the catalyst because they were good in 2016. Right. Remember, they made the playoffs in Dak's rookie season when it's like, well, actually going from the previous year where Matt Castle was starting games for you and Tony Romo was hurt to you found Dak in the fourth round who played great. And again, when you, when you find stats that lie, every time we give Zeke 20 carries, we're 22-1 and one and all that fun stuff, you make it seem like he's the catalyst. And I think right. Dallas kind of got caught into that i mean you have tyron smith travis frederick and zach martin in the primes of their career blocking for him so yeah he's gonna do pretty well i would i would hope so and then yeah we mentioned jalen ramsey ronnie stanley deforest buckner jack conklin the next four picks in the draft i mean very very good players at premium positions so don't we don't we think just like fourth down decisions around the nfl we're starting to the league is they've caught on to this right day one of free agency was guards and defensive linemen um, the trend in the league is understanding that the offensive line in the scheme is probably creating those yards as, you know, for running backs, that you do want to be able to play the run with defensive tackles that um, can, can play in a you know, can two-gap or can shed blocks and make plays with a six-man box and all this stuff. Like The league's realizing that, and they're not paying the running back. So after all these years of hammering it home and a few teams kind of being smart to it, we're closing in on 32 teams maybe being smart to how the market should be playing out. And I do wonder if, you know, the follies, like the, the mistakes, the, the cautionary tales are starting to hit home. Like Todd Gurley, that breakdown and disaster of the, the end of his career, the Zeke Elliott thing of, you know, seven years of error essentially at the, at the mismanaging that position. And this is not to say that either one of those guys was a bad player. Like Todd Gurley in his prime was great. Zeke Elliott in his prime were great. The Point being, it's just not worth the allocation of resources because Tony Pollard, who you drafted, you know, in a completely different spot, is also great. And if you had three all pros paving the way, almost anybody is going to look great in that scenario. So I think you're, as much as, you know, the, the league generally is getting more sophisticated and aware of analytics and data and all these kinds of things, it's also the sort of specific case studies of like when it goes wrong that is going to help make that case for you as much as anything. No, 100%. I think it's a good point. It, the, the market reset has happened. I mean, it's it's a dramatic thing. And I will say this, though. I now think we are approaching maybe, maybe not right now, maybe next offseason, an inflection point to where I think we're still going to hear from the league, okay, so these guys are at their best in their rookie contracts, so we can draft them relatively high, and then we'll just won't extend them. Yeah. I think there's going to be a point where, okay, look, I'd rather give David Montgomery three years, $18 million, than spend a top 50 pick and not use that elsewhere. Like, there, there, will be, there will come a time where there's an inflection point of, I'd actually rather do a mid-tier signing on a guy that you know is solid. Yeah. And, you know, B. John Robinson's special talent, I get that. But, you know, you take him top 15 as opposed to just, look, Rashad Penny's going to Philadelphia for $1.3 million. Like, there's, there, there's a point where maybe it actually tilts towards, again, shorter term, not go six-year extension like Zeke, but sign a guy that's solid for three years. There might be, a, you know, a middle ground there. I, I don't the tangent we're on the tangent but there's a great discussion this is what we're here for on the on the on the podcast um there's a great meme the other day about how we always take the always take the tangent as soon as it's there because you've done a lot of work brad on draft value and obviously you know contracts inside and out where is the value actually in the draft because you and i have theorized you've said maybe second half of the first round you don't hate the running back value because you 
when you add up that contract, it's not egregious compared to maybe the high-end part of the market. I think maybe the second round is a place where you could still get a good player and the, the, the money's not terrible. Is it as simple as don't ever take a running back until day three or round three or beyond? Like, is there actually a sweet spot in the draft where it makes sense from a production and financial standpoint? So I do think first context is everything. But for me, the fifth-year option kind of makes the first round a bad pick, right? You want that extra flexibility and extra control on a player with that fifth-year option. And getting that on a guy at a premium position goes a long way. So yeah. I probably wouldn't take one in the first round. So it's the opportunity cost of another position's fifth-year option versus the running back. So you mentioned, for example, our, you know Zeke Elliott comes in the league immediately as a top-five paid player at his position. Saquon? Barkley when he was drafted was the fifth highest paid running back in the NFL on yeah. an annual basis the next year Nick Bosa gets drafted second overall was the 37th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL both of those guys the first couple of years they're of their were the best player or one of the best players at their position no question about it but you're getting zero surplus value on Saquon Barkley you're getting 20 million dollars a year of surplus value on Nick Bosa so that to me is the opportunity cost but yeah you know second round look I mean Brees Hall Kenneth Walker like I think those teams probably weren't in a position where you should be allocating top end resources to that position, but they're great players. You're not using that first round pick on them. I would probably wait till around pick 50 or so. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying you have to wait till day three, but I, but you can find good players there. I think sure. Bijan is going to be a really interesting you know test in all this. Like it does seem like the league is getting better at this kind of thing. They're moving towards the kind of areas that we've been talking about for a long time. But Bijan Robinson is the best prospect we've seen come along for a long time, and the kind of guy that in a you know in a quote unquote normal year, if you sort of revert, take away all this information, would be like a top five draft pick, right? A guy that we're, that is going where Zeke Elliott gets drafted or Saquon Barkley gets drafted. So it's a really interesting test case of has the league smartened up and, and changed their thinking that much? Or have we just not had a Bijan Robinson coming into the draft for a couple of years? And as soon as one of those guys is available in a strong running back class, you know, so it's not like he's just a superstar and then beyond him, there's nothing like there's a lot of good running backs in this draft, but is a guy that good enough to propel the conversation, like to just reset everything and say, no, he's going top five anyway, because he's that good or no, we have learned like as good as this guy is, we're not taking him until 22. I'm back and forth on it. I think, that, I think the league is smart enough on the market because it's easy to run that analysis. Here's all the, here's all the running backs who got second contracts, and here's what they right, did, right? right? It's pretty clear cut. Like, that is easy analysis to hand to the GM and say, this never works. First round running backs, there's still a lot of people who say, well, first round running backs are the guys who get the most yards. They're the guys who get the most touchdowns. They're the guys who get the most. There's still that type of surface level analysis yes. happening here's the other part i'm with you on the david montgomery like give me that three-year mid-tier contract all day but there are jets fans and jags fans who remember games where Brees hall had the big run right the, yeah. the, the the breakaway run that won the game where travis Etienne has these breakaway runs that that flip the field and i think the nfl believes like that too having the explosive playmaker versus the David Montgomery who's never going to get a carry above 15 yards. Even though he's good sure, and he's sure. going to break tackles, I think they still value the explosive playmaker. And that part, I kind of get. And if you give me that guy maybe in the second, I feel like maybe you could justify it more than, say, 
the David Montgomery types. I think that's fair. We've done research. Uh, this is Ben Brown, one of our you know great data scientists. I think 60-something percent of drives that ended in a touchdown had at least one explosive play. Like, you need to break off that big gain. That would be 15-plus yards or 10-plus yard rush. Uh, like you said, David Montgomery is going to get you four yards of carry. It avoids negatives very well. He's not breaking off a 50-yard carry for right. you. So that plus the receiving thing. I love this discussion. I do want to say breaking news. Darius Slay is getting cut by the Philadelphia Eagles. I think I had to mention that. That's, that's, a, that's big news. All right, well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's uh, reset. That is good. Well done there. Well done. You, behold, you were holding on to that yeah, for a couple minutes? Let's circle back to Darius Slay after I remind you that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. That's a perfect segue, actually, Brad, because James Bradbury, the other corner on the other side, re-signed with the Eagles just yesterday. I am a huge fan now of this uh, specific experiment because, you know, a lot of the time when a guy changes things, there's, there's almost always multiple confounding factors, right? And it's very difficult to get a clean read on did this change make a difference or did seven other things influence this and you don't actually know whether now – Remember, James Bradbury shows up late last season. They they pick him up on for pennies on the dollar after the Giants had to cut him as a cap casualty. And all of a sudden, James Bradbury goes from being the number one corner on not a great team and struggling to the number two corner on a great defense with Darius Slay on the other side. And all of a sudden, Bradbury leads the NFL with the lowest passer rating into his coverage. Looks fantastic. Has a, you know, arguably a career year. Looks great. We now are like, ah, now he's going to go to another team and you're not going to figure out like how, what that looks like. Well, now Bradbury is re-signed to what should be a great defense again, and Darius Slay's leaving. So now we get to figure out how much of it was the defense overall and how much of it was literally the easier assignment by Darius Slay being the true alpha, the number one guy in that defense. It's a fantastic, like, control experiment here. I, I don't think the assignment thing plays here, though, because they don't play man. They don't match up. It's not an assignment thing. Like, they didn't... James Bradbury didn't have an easier role than Darius Slay. They were just – they play they play sides. They're just cornerbacks. That's not – this isn't matchup basketball anymore. No, but I still think you end up with a more favorable matchup on that side than the side that Darius Slay played. Maybe. I mean, there's definitely something to that. I mean, I think from an Eagles standpoint, though, it's like, all right, I, I thought last year – I mean, how many times have I raved about their process last year? You already had Darius Slay. They go through the draft with this cornerback need. Zach McPherson's going to be their guy – going into the year and then they pick up J James Bradbury for 7 million for one year and um, as a buy low as one of those buy lows I'm all in on the buy low so who's the next buy low for the Eagles and where does how did this come about with Darius Slay and the way his contract was structured and everything yeah so Slay was owed 17 and a half million dollars in the final year of his contract then be 32 years old look a very very good player but Philadelphia is not in the business of you know extending older players especially at cornerback I think the more interesting thing is pick number 10 for them now is that going to be one of these top corners in this awesome yeah. draft class of corners I bet it's that it's that or interior defensive line um but yeah so you know that that's the thing it's it's not complicated it's just he probably wanted an extension going into his last year no guarantees remaining Philadelphia wasn't going to do it and as awesome as he is, we just talked about Stephon Gilmore getting traded with an eight and a half or like a nine million dollar salary. Slay has double that, so hard to trade him to a new team. Wants new money, uh, but I'm sure he will have a long list of suitors. Not a great cornerback market, uh, but he he's you know a special player. They had guard. Uh 
Gardner Johnson out there as well as a free agent. Another guy that they picked up in just a what, fifth rounder or whatever it was in, yep. that, in that trade, right? So, I mean, just a great job building that secondary last year, I thought, in Philadelphia. Um, Sam, you've talked a lot about how they future-proofed the roster, right? So when um, TJ Edwards leaves, Nicobe Dean comes mm-hmm. in. And when uh, Javon Hargrave leaves, you, you already drafted Jordan Davis. Not the same position, but you've been replenishing the defensive line. So, yeah, picking at 10 certainly gives them some options, whether it's defensive line, which they love to build, right? That's, their, that's the way they build in Philadelphia, versus um, corner – absolutely could be in play they don't draft corners that high though right like that not hasn't really been yeah their mo this has been as much as we always talk about coverage first versus pass rush whatever it, it's a very surface level debate but they believe in winning in the trenches both sides offensive line and defensive line they like to roll eight deep with their pass rushers so this will be interesting to see how the eagles handle this or are they going to find the next i mean darius slay is going to be a steal for somebody right on the on the open market right now, but like, how are the Eagles going to replenish that spot? Are they going to do it the same way they found Bradbury last year? Yeah, I mean, I, the Eagles, I think, are they still have one of the best rosters in the NFL, but with you know, losing guys like Slay, they they've got a few holes that they still need to fill heading into this this draft, or you know, draft more like the Saints, where you are going to have to target a little bit for a need. They're drafting like the Saints; they have their pick. <laughs> well, yes, they're, they're drafting for the Saints in this particular instance. They have their pick. I think, you know, Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon and uh, Joey Porter Jr., all those, those cornerbacks that have been rumored. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a feel for where they're going to land right now. I think you see them on boards anywhere from 5 to, to 25, basically, a lot of those top corners. I don't know if we're going to get a run in the teens. It feels more like a cornerback group where we'll see runs in the teens, like one or two in the top 10. I don't think on the surface they're as good as the Patrick Sertan and – Patrick Sertan a couple years ago or Sauce Gardner and uh, Derek Stingley last year, but it feels like a run in the teams where maybe the Eagles are one of the teams to kick that off. Certainly possible, yeah. There are a couple guys in free agency, some older I – mean, like a Shaq Griffin got cut recently. I know he's kind of been put in that cover three, like that's all you can do type of thing. But, you know, interesting young player, still only 27 years old. I know Rocky Sin's kind of a true press man corner, probably not a great fit for them. But there, there are some, uh, some options out there. Shaq Griffin's interesting because that's, that's the Bradbury move, right? Bradbury was coming off yeah. of a, yep. a down season. It's the buy low. Yes, that yep. is a buy low at a position. And it's not just buying low because I would do that at all positions, but <laughs> at corner – where we know that that type of production fluctuates and might be scheme-based and, and all that fun stuff. So um, thank you for the breaking news there, Brad. You, <laughs> you, uh, I see sometimes you know, you're on your phone talking to people and everything, so if you have any other news that you want to break. Um, I, trust me, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. Yeah, try to get something going here. Um, are we ready to talk Rodgers? Let's not talk Rodgers yet. Other moves that, we, uh, that occurred within the last 24 hours. Byron Murphy signing with the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Uh, cornerback formerly of the Arizona Cardinals. Interesting move is Brian Flores comes in as defensive coordinator. We know Flores is going to play a lot of man. I think Murphy's really excelled in a zone-heavy scheme where he's going to play in the slot mostly. So I don't know what the plan is for him, if he's going to be a man coverage type of player in the slot. Or as we've said, Sam, is Brian Flores really just going to implement you know, 45, 50% man like he did previously, or is he going to adjust to what the Vikings want to do? Yeah, I still think that's an open question. I mean, they... They have a defense that doesn't fit from a personnel standpoint the Brian, the typical Brian Flores defense that we've become accustomed to, whether it's New England or Miami. Um, 
and there, there, there's a lot of turnover happening right now. Patrick Peterson leaves. Patrick Peterson was definitely not a good fit for that. He's been significantly better in zone coverage than man coverage the last few years. His PFF coverage grade since 2019, I think, in single coverage is like 42. Um, so he's been problematically bad in man coverage over the last couple of years, even if his stats are very good last year. It's like 12 targets and three receptions or something, but you have to look at what those plays actually were for why the passes were incomplete as opposed to simply saying passes into his coverage were incomplete at a very high rate because he wasn't the driving factor there. Point being, a bad fit for that style of defense, and he's now gone elsewhere. Um, But Byron Murphy coming in also doesn't seem like a great fit for that style of defense. So now you're sort of still wondering, are they actually going to run that? Or, you know, have they decided that they can run a lot more, uh, a lot more diverse coverages or mix them up or, you know, run a whole variety of things back there? How about, um, I wanted to circle back to Slay for a minute here. Do we have any potential fits off the top of our head? Slay's had an interesting career. Remember the, the Lions got rid of him a couple of years ago as he looked like he was declining, but Slay feels he got kind of rejuvenated in a zone-heavy, off-coverage type of scheme. I think that's his best fit schematically. Where does Slay land around the NFL here? It's a good question because I'm looking. I'm actually looking at more of the, the man cover teams. Obviously, that was what he did back in you know Detroit in the beginning of his career. Like I think a team like the Ravens, the the Patriots. I guess they brought back Jonathan Jones, but you know the Raiders. Uh, you know Raiders could, need anybody. Yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he fits really well schematically in Minnesota's defense. <laughs> he's he's actually a perfect fit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I don't team. think he plays. I don't think you want him playing man at this Slay? point. In his career. Yeah. I mean, I think you do. There's no, I mean, he's a really good man cover corner. The only question is, is he reaching the age where that's going to stop? That's my only so concern. S- still under contract with Casey Hayward in Atlanta, but maybe the number two opposite of AJ Terrell. And we kind of the same thing we're talking about with James Bradbury. You know, with Ryan Nielsen, they might play a little bit more man this year. Obviously, New Orleans did that when he was there. Um, you know, moving on from Dean Pease. So, uh, yeah, it is kind of a question of what you want him to do. Um, but the teams that seem to have a need, I think, all are kind of skewing towards more man heavy coverage. What is. Um, how much money is he going to be looking for? Because he's in that classic area of he's 32 years old for a cornerback. That's terrifying in terms of money that you're committing to him. Um, like, is, is that so? Minnesota doesn't have a lot of money to play with at all. So from a, like, from a player to scheme point of view, that's a great matchup. But are we talking completely different financial worlds where the Vikings don't have money to spend? And obviously Slay wants more money, which is why he got released in the first place. Is that... Is that a potential fit, or is that completely unrealistic based off contract? See, that's the interesting thing. He was owed $17 million salary, and I, I don't think Philly was going to necessarily cut him unless he was willing, like only if he was going to take a pay cut. Maybe, maybe that was the case. They wanted him to take less money. But you would imagine he would at least have an idea of what he could get out there. You know, no one's tampering. No one's talking to anyone else. But ga- gauge what could be out there type of thing. I would imagine he still gets, you know, even if it's two years, $20 million, like he gets a total value that exceeds that $17 million, gets some actual guarantees on the contract. Um, I think it'll be a decent chunk still. So decent chunk. So not the $7 million. That James Bradbury got last year. Right? I would imagine more than that. Okay, yeah. but um, and then timing-wise, the fact that he was released—that's not affecting comp picks or or anything like that. So you can't forward. get any release is is not comp pick eligible. Right. So yeah. just just want to make sure we reiterate that for uh, for the group here. So Darius Slay being released. I mean, isn't this the bigger story in free agency this year besides the uh, the Aaron Rodgers 
uh, Days of Our Lives drama here isn't the bigger story, the released players, right? We, you've been putting together this free agent board for months, and we were saying it's going to be trades and then somewhat big-name releases that kind of replenish the free agent board. And we've got another name out there in Darius Slay. Yeah, no, there have been a bunch of pretty high-profile cap casualties, guys that should come in and make an impact, and he's definitely top of that list. All right, I want to discuss a signing that just happened today that I think everybody here loves. So let's rave about Deontay Hardy. Hardy, mm. former Saint. Um, he was Deontay Harris before. Yes. Um, but Hardy missed, missed last year with the Saints, got replaced by the great Rashid Shahid. Uh, but Hardy was this dude who was just an incredible punt returner, deep threat, guy that was in just the Saints, my, my type here, Sam, right? They just run him on deep goes and posts all the time, take a couple deep shots per game, run a comeback every now and again to keep the cornerback honest. Hardy signs with the Buffalo Bills to be their wide receiver for deep threat type of player. And boy, do I love it. Yeah, I do as well. Bills Mafia is very on the fence over this. Um, Why? Well, because in his entire four-year career, he's got 73 catches and less than 1,000 yards. Like For what? I'm just at 18 yards per catch probably? Uh, 12. Oh. That's because of the jet sweeps or something probably yeah, offset. He's, he's, this, passes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those don't even count those. Count those as runs, and then it's 18 per catch. Okay. Um, also, uh, you know, two stats. catches last year. So, like, there's – it makes sense. There's reasons to be Think scared. Like, upside. He's five foot six, 170 pounds, and has been injured. Like, this is this is a thing. And he's he's not being paid insignificant money. It's like, what, 13? Nine and a half over two is the base Okay, value. nine and a half over two. Still a good chunk. Right. For a guy that played, you know – that had two catches last year. Yeah. So I get it. Um, but you're right. Like, the, the, the reason to be excited about this is he's so good at a lot of things. Um, he is that really legit deep threat. He's also really legit with the ball in his hands on short area stuff, which is why that average per catch is not actually that high. He had uh, 13 broken tackles on 28 catches in 2020. He had six broken tackles on 36 catches the next year. Like, he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. Also, I forget which year I was doing this. I think it was 2021 where I was looking at, you know, wide receiver performance against a variety of sort of different things, whether it's press coverage, whether it's true man coverage, whether it's outside alignment, inside, all this kind of stuff. And the names at the top were the guys you would expect them to be. It was you know, A.J. Brown and Michael Thomas and Stephon Diggs, or not Michael Thomas, uh, Jamar Chase and Stephon Diggs and Justin Jefferson and blah, blah, blah. It's like a who's who of elite receivers. And then you had to keep stripping Deontay Hardy's name out of it for, you know, not meeting the threshold of snaps or targets or whatever it was. But, like, he was showing up really highly in all those metrics in, like, the toughest wide receiver situations, man coverage, press coverage, all this kind of stuff, really, really well. So... I think he's a dynamic receiver at all levels and capable of winning in a variety of different ways. And if he's healthy, it's just such an added weapon to that offense. Yeah, which comes out to me too. I mean, look, 2021, seven yards after the catch per reception, a 2.7 yards per route run, but also... Huge number. Yeah, you're talking about, look, he can be the deep threat. He also, you said, can catch it underneath and then get a lot of yards after the catch. And with Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, with Gabe Davis in particular, I mean, he is your 17 yards per reception, your eight out of 15 plus yards. Like, he's not going to do much beyond that. He can, Hardy can feast over the middle or just, you know, even on the outside, just on the shorter intermediate routes, get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands faster. I think there's a lot of value in that. Also, by the way, like, let's 
let's not overlook the giant upgrade he's getting at quarterback now because this is not a guy that really benefited from any kind of Drew Brees boost in that offense. Like when his career essentially runs the final days of a broken down noodle arm Drew Brees who couldn't really get the ball in a bunch of different ways. Taysom Hill when that was a thing. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater for a few games when that was a thing. Jameis Winston uh, and Trevor didn't, Simeon. Yes, and didn't get didn't get Andy Dalton. Right, didn't right. get the good season of Andy Dalton. So this is a guy who's had a pretty terrible list of quarterbacks and a Drew Brees who wasn't Drew Brees by that point in his career. So going from that to Josh Allen, who can put the ball anywhere on the field at any given moment and has a propensity to just heave it when he wants is potentially a massive, huge upgrade. Listen, I, I know, you know, Brad mentioned Gabriel Davis as that, that deep thread, and there was probably a little bit too much pressure on Gabe Davis to be the, the number two opposite Stephon Diggs. This takes a little bit of that pressure off. You know, I don't know that it's the... I feel like Bills fans maybe wanted... I mean, probably New Hopkins, but Bills fans probably wanted more of a Jacoby Myers type, maybe. You know, more money, a, a volume number two, so Davis could just be the deep threat. But I'm telling you, Hardy is going to get behind the defense. Josh Allen's going to throw the ball 70 yards in the air and create some touchdowns here. Hardy and Gabe Davis as deep threats. Stephon Diggs as your high-volume receiver. Don't forget about Khalil Shakir, who they drafted last year, yeah. who could be a very good slot over-the-middle type receiver. They've used Isaiah McKenzie as that jet sweep, mix-it-up type of player. The Bills, maybe they had a slight oversight last year putting too much pressure on Gabe Davis. But overall, I think in the Josh Allen era, they've done a great job of surrounding him with playmakers. And we've always talked about building the basketball team with different body types and styles and speed and quicks and all that stuff. And the Bills have that, and Hardy brings something to the table. Plus, he returns punts. And yeah. he, he might create a couple a couple touchdowns just on special teams. Yeah, and also, like, this is a team, you know, they still have the draft. Like, this doesn't prohibit them from doing anything else. This doesn't mean they're not going to touch the wide receiver group again. Maybe they add a guy. Like the Bears on the defensive line. Yeah, the point being, adding a guy like Deontay Hardy to your wide receiver room, regardless effectively of where it is, is a good thing. Whether that, you know, if that, if they do nothing else to this wide receiver group, I think it's, it's better than it was beforehand. And it shouldn't stop them from adding potentially a number two in the draft. So if it does that, it's still a good thing. I'm just, I like this move overall. The only quibble would be, yeah, it feels a little bit rich. It is a bit rich. Like you said, too, because the contract year itself, he basically did not play this year. So right. that, that's why, um, you know, it comes in a little bit, you know. But like you said, the, the upside is definitely there. From the Northeast Conference, it's my conference, oh, yeah. Assumption College. Assumption College. And you know how you like my... Um, three degrees of uh, separation. separation. My uh, little connect? league little league teammate yeah. coached him at Assumption. Well, that's very short. It's, yeah. It's not many yeah. degrees of separation at all. That's right. They I saw did. a video. Uh, it was like a TikTok. A guy who was like, I can't remember what the starting point was, but it was like, how do I get from some random inanimate object to Vin Diesel in 30 seconds using click-throughs on Wikipedia? So we started off with like, astronomy or whatever right and then he has quickly like hyperlink 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 get from one thing to the other and get to vin diesel within 30 seconds it's pretty funny oh, that's, you could do that it's relatable that that's the uh, the interweb version of uh, what i do now that's a tangent that's that's a good tangent yeah. you took the you took the detour immediately uh what else yesterday we got andy dalton going to the carolina panthers to back up the number one overall pick presumably yeah, as yet unnamed starting quarterback yeah 
So, so what do you think is happening here? We've got. Uh, do you think Frank Reich is going full Matt Nagy here? Like, no, Andy Andy Dalton's our starter. Andy Dalton is our starter. Like Matt Nagy a couple years ago. I wouldn't be shocked if he starts the year as the starter. I mean, it was great for us last year, over an 80 passing grade. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the first month of the season and then they transition to the next guy. Well, the question would be, okay, Andy Dalton comes in. It's not, you know, starter money, really. No. Uh, but he's a, I mean, he's a guy that we just talked about. Look at that, 82.1 PFF grade last season, 81 passing grade. He had a good year for the Saints, but nobody really noticed because the Saints were bad. Um but he's shown that Andy Dalton can still start in the NFL and you'd be fine. Does that change the dynamic of who they could be looking at at number one overall? Like, are the Panthers all of a sudden more open to the idea of one of these quarterbacks that requires potentially more, you know, developmental time before they get thrown to the fire than needing to get the guy that starts day one because we don't have a quarterback right now. I view it the other way because I'm thinking, are they getting Andy Dalton to, I, mean, I guess. To I mean, show C.J. They, Stroud how to be Just like to show C.J. Stroud how to be a better version of Andy Dalton, right? <laughs> are they saying, hey, Andy Dalton's really good at, you know, getting rid of the ball quickly and this and that, and we want C.J. Stroud to be a better version of that. Let me bring in a guy who can show you exactly how to be QB 15 in the NFL. Your point's an interesting one, though. Do you bring Andy Dalton in because you know you're bringing in Anthony Richardson and you want to take right. your time? And listen, I will, I will continue to repeat every single year, I don't care when the rookie quarterback starts. I don't think they need to start week one. I, don't think, it, I, I think the Justin Fields thing in Chicago was this overblown story. Chicago fans really wanted to see him because they just – they were just wanted something to be excited about, Correct. right? That's not the, but that's not the reason for Justin Fields' development, right? I'm, I'm saying the, the best reason for the quarterback's development is when they're ready to go, they're ready to go. And if you bring in Andy Dalton, look, this could be like the poems we were talking about off air. Like we're looking into this too much. They just signed a good backup quarterback, or they're thinking Dalton will hold the fort for Anthony Richardson, who we're going to let take his time. I'm also, by the way, not convinced that any of the options at number one overall need time to learn before they get put out there on the field. Like it, it's a case of if they think that's true, maybe that. Like to me, I don't see there's a reason why Anthony Richardson can't start day one. Like you're not going to fix his accuracy between drafting him wherever you're drafting him in the first round and the first week of the season. So that's not an option. Like you're not, you're not teaching him how to be an accurate quarterback before he gets his first NFL action. That's going to be something that's going to have to be worked on over the first couple of years of his NFL career. So if that's your reason, Oh, he can't start day one. The guy, like, we need to teach him accuracy. Like, well, that's not going yeah, like, to – then you, you're not going to start him, period. You always look at it like, does this guy have a specific thing that he needs to work on? And I look at it like, did I, – I just look at the history of a lot of the good quarterbacks who just didn't start day one for, what, for whatever reason. But that's not the argument people are using for, like, this guy needs to sit for a while. Like, the uh, reasons – What if just everybody sat? Besides, okay, but that's besides not, Trevor Lawrence. But that's not the conversation the NFL is ha having. They're like, this guy is NFL ready. He starts day one. This guy isn't NFL ready. He has to wait six weeks or whatever. Like, to me, none of the guys that Carolina are potentially considering a number one overall need to sit. Now, they might view it differently, and that's why Andy Dalton comes into the picture. But to me, I don't think any of the options that they're talking about require an Andy Dalton coming in to steer the ship for the first eight weeks. Yeah, I'm, as always, I'm trying to change the conversation, Sam. I'm saying, what if you, no matter who it is, you legitimately, legitimately said we're going to wait and, and let them sit. Yeah, I mean. Because Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and Carson Palmer and all these other guys sat. And uh, just using that, those very 
small data points. Uh, the problem with that is, as we discussed last year or whenever it was, nobody has the patience for that. And even yeah, I'm though- suggesting have the patience. <laughs> you, it does the, whatever the Panthers do this year does not matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they want to win. Maybe it's the NFC South, and you can you can win the division, and there's something to play for. But take your time with the quarterback. Plenty of time to discuss that. Where else we want to go here? Detroit Lions. Mm. The Lions are doing some good stuff in free agency. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of those teams that historically used to win in March, and they did not actually win in September after winning in March, uh, now making more smart, calculated moves. What they did with Cameron Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley, I think, is incredible on the back end. Yeah. Um, get two good players, not breaking the bank on either one. Mosley was that young guy that was playing his way into maybe an extension. Signed a two-year, around $10 million deal with San Fran before. Uh, tears ACL in week six, or going into week six. Um, but now I'm sure he'll be ready by you know, week one of this year. I also like bringing back John, John Kaminsky, too. Bring him in last year from Atlanta. Had been kind of a journeyman guy. Can play inside, outside, do a lot of different things. They still need some more juice on the interior, but I think he's a good player you bring back. Uh, funny story, I guess he was in Florida. He had to fly home from family vacation, sign the contract, and go back to Florida. So enjoy the vacation, Just John Just to Kaminsky. sign the yep. – <laughs> are you allowed to sign the contract till no, today? You can't e-sign. Apparently you cannot e-sign. Well, it's an extension, I guess, because he's an internal player. Oh, right, player. right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah, fine. I guess you're not, not allowed to do an uh, you know, docu-sign uh, with these NFL contracts, apparently. Are they still faxing them? You still got to fax them? No, that's college. That's that's college recruiting. Um, (laughs) The I I love that double signing at cornerback, particularly like two veterans, two guys that have played pretty well. Like Mosley, I think gets a little bit of unfair criticism, but the passer rating into that guy's coverage in his NFL career is like 82, which is almost 20 points lower than the average pass. The Lions have done this. They've done what we talk about all the time, which is look. Love this rebuild project from start to finish, essentially, right? And it hasn't been 100% smooth. The, the, some of the players they've picked to develop at certain times or to sort of flourish with this whole thing coming together as one have not worked out. And rather than just say, ah, oh, crap, now we got to go back to the start and do it all over again, they've had to adjust on the fly and pivot and do various new things to try and stop that. So... They could have gone, all right, Jeffrey Akuda took a step forward last year, but he's still not exactly good. The, none of the other corners we've added to this group have, have really stood out. So we've got to go to the draft again, draft the guy in the first round. If that guy sucks, now the whole project is just, you know, a problem. Instead, they went, well, let's bring in two veteran players. Let's really shore up that position so that we know there's a really high floor to cornerback this year. And we were set at a certain spot, even if that's all we do. And now we're not shoehorn now we're not pigeonholed into having to draft a corner in the first round if if need and best player available aligns we can still draft one but we don't have to chase it and bring a guy that we don't love the value in at that particularly that first pick that they have where you know for every mock we've been sort of going can they take the corner this high like you get your pick of all of them but it doesn't feel like any of them is worth this spot now they don't have to do that they can wait yeah i i i love it for those reasons sam right it's mosley another buy low cam Sutton, who's got inside outside flexibility. Um, he's one of those guys that, you know, from like a PFF war standpoint, above average last year, above average over the last couple of years, you get him at a decent price. And again, the flexibility there. So it doesn't keep the lions out of that cornerback market. And they're also depending on So if, if someone trades up to three to Arizona, the lions at six get, Again, the big assumption that Jalen Carter is, let's pretend he's cleared. I think there's the two clear-cut blue-chip defensive players, Jalen Carter 
and Will Anderson. The Lions are one trade away from being able to sit at six and get that player. Um, I don't care if they get Will Anderson and that's redundant to Aiden Hutchinson and um, James Houston and all the guys that they brought in last I don't care. You, you no. draft Will Anderson. Yeah. You draft Jalen Carter. They are one trade away from getting, I think, two, you know, the, one of the two best non-quarterbacks in this draft. And like you, it, in, in handling the cornerback need makes that a little bit more feasible, right? So you don't have to force a corner. Then you still might have a corner at 18. That makes sense for Detroit. So now you've got the youth plus the free agent moves. Plus, Mosley's still only on a one-year deal, so you – Corner's very much in play for Detroit. I mean, that would be the second year in a row that the draft just, like, lucks into Detroit's lap. Remember, you know, last yeah. year, it's like Aiden Hutchinson should be the clear number one pick. And then the Jags go Trayvon Walker. And it's like the Lions sprint to the podium celebrating because they get the best defensive player in the draft, or what we thought was at the time. Obviously, Sauce Gardner ended up being that guy after year one. If that happened, you know, two years in a row, that what seemed a completely implausible concept in March ends up, panning out exactly that way in April and they end up getting, you know, arguably the best defensive player in the draft again, dude, that, that's incredible luck. It'd be three years in a row of Penny Sewell, you could argue. I'm not saying Jamar Chase is a bad pick, right. but what, they set at seven and get maybe the best tackle in the, in, in the class? So They sat there and got <laughs> a blue-chip player. I mean, those, there's only a handful of those blue-chip prospects. Two years ago, I think there was more. That's right, why they right, got right. Sewell yeah, at seven. Yeah. This year, it's just maybe the quarterbacks push him down. It also might set them up to draft a quarterback. I was going to say, you know, talking about them sitting at six and someone going to three, they could be that team that does go to three. Right. I really would not be surprised. Jared Goff has two non-guaranteed years remaining in this contract. I know they like him a lot. They really do. Obviously, you trade for him for a reason. Um, but, you know, they, I think they know he's not going to win them a Super Bowl at this point. A good player, a playoff player, I'm not sure he's that guy that takes you to the promised land. But the big thing you said, too, which I think applies to everyone – Having the optionality and not forcing yourself into a pick, you know, we hear the buzzwords, best player available, all that stuff. To a degree, you are going to address needs, but when you have a glaring, obvious, we must take this position type thing, it's it's a bad way to go into the draft. Now, at 6 and 18, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we joke about my uh, draft model here all the time, and, you know, it's it's a little real and a little bit of a joke, but part of the way I was testing it, part of the strategy is literally just – drafting the best players on the board and we've I've been we've been asking around the league a ton where do, where does the bias start to come in when you're putting the board together right we're trying to get to the bottom of this where where do you factor in needs and positional value and all that stuff but if you can literally go in with no needs and say I don't care I've got four corners I'm taking the fifth one over time I think you're going to win like over time you will win if you truly go best player available with whatever system you're using so Getting to the draft with fewer needs is a very good strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's, we've talked about that all the time. That's the dream scenario of how to play an offseason, is getting to the draft without an obvious must-fill-this-spot. And most teams, I think, want to do that. And then you have teams like the Saints, who appear to be perfectly happy to enter the draft with one glaring need, right? Yep. As long as we only need to fill it with the first-round pick, we're good. Um, but I think in an ideal world, you don't want to have to do that because it limits what you can do in the draft like you effectively have to chase a guy to fill that one spot who might not be the best value at that stage i mean the saints had to trade up twice to get chris Olave. So like you can do yeah. it but you also have to give up a ton of reasons right so you either, pick, but, you either yeah. need to sort of uh you know rely on the draft falling your way or you need to do aggressive things in the draft to ensure that it does fall your right. way
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. Um, any other teams you guys wanted to highlight before we get into our best available? We are we gonna we're gonna talk to Aaron Rodgers. I kind of want to finish it. Finish it with Aaron with Rogers. the Rodgers. We'll okay. do best available. We'll do uh, what did I have? It was another thing. <laughs> best available uh-huh. winners and losers after day two. Do we have another winners and losers? You know, kind of like wrap up, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about the. Um, the marriage of the 2022 Packers and the 2022 Jets. And yeah. how when you take those two teams and merge them together, you take nine wins over here, or eight wins over here, and seven wins over there, and you get a, it's a 15-win team. That's yeah. what they're trying to – that's what they're trying to – I'm just doing the math here. I see. Just trying to do the math. That's the plan. Uh, best available over at pff.com. We've got our 100 best available remaining free agents. A lot of big names on there from – Odell Beckham Jr., Orlando Brown Jr., Darius Slay, Levante mm-hmm. David, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, who stands out on this list? What are we expecting here? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is interesting for sure as we're talking about Darius Slay. Do they make this move because they're trying to have, you know, save some money to extend him in Philadelphia? Uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm thinking that's what's going to happen, but maybe that is part of the, the reason for moving on there. Yeah, I'm, I, Orlando Brown Jr. stands out, I think, as one of the big names to, to see where that goes. The tackle market has been pretty interesting so far. Uh, Orlando Brown, a really fascinating player. He's got shown now that he can play right and left tackle to basically the same level. You know, good, not great. Um, gave up a ton of pressure last year, but overall was... They passed more than anyone else. Exactly, right? So overall, his performance is going to be good. He's good against the run and the pass. And the, the kind of precedent has been set for how much money should be thrown around to a guy that good. I get a vent again. Uh-oh. What was the stupid report that the, the league doesn't value Orlando Brown as a left tackle? What does that even mean? We've gone past this. We're past this left tackle, right tackle stuff. I would think that is more driven by him than it is teams, or he wants to play on the left side, and maybe teams want to move him back over to the right. Um, you know, I don't think it's team saying, you know, we, we want to pay him as a right tackle, not as a left tackle. You're saying the markets are pretty similar at this point. I think it's more that maybe they want to shift him back over, and he is adamant, clearly, about playing on the left side. Well, that was his thing is, is to sort of honor his dad, yep. right? He yep. wanted to, sh- to, to play on the left side. He wanted to prove that he could do it. I think he did. I don't see why you would necessarily want to move him back to the other side since his performance is effectively identical on either side. I mean, his PFF grades have been insanely consistent between 73 and 76 overall for the last four straight years. Pass blocking is basically in exactly the same area. Stats are the same. Like, nothing changed. Run blocking is the same in in across two completely different systems. A run-heavy system in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson at quarterback – to a pass-heavy system in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Yeah, so the only thing that changed is his total number of pressures spiked, which, as you say, is entirely driven by the fact yeah. that the Chiefs pass the ball significantly more than the Ravens do. Right, which is why I always suggest use the pass block grade, not the pressure totals, to define these guys. Certainly don't use sack totals because that's on the quarterback. But even though given he gave up 58 pressures last year, it is because of the volume, a 76 pass rush grade, a pass blocking grade for 
Orlando Brown is very good. Now, all that's he's just been good and dependable. Mm-hmm. My, my where I struggle is what that is worth. Right. What is good and dependable worth? Eighteen to twenty million a year. I assume that's where what he's hoping to get. I, I think he probably wants more than twenty, but I think now you're looking at eighteen to twenty based on how things are playing out. Yeah. That's where it might be more reasonable. Um, it is interesting though that Kansas City wanted to uh, to let him walk. Right. When they made that trade, they were get they were they thought they were paying for certainty. I think they got their certainty for two years. And uh, they're letting him walk and bringing in Juwan Taylor. That says a ton that you're get you're bringing a different guy who never played left tackle, giving yeah. him the twenty. He uh, Orlando Brown would have signed four years, eighty with sixty million guaranteed in a heartbeat, right? So you're giving him the contract that Orlando would have taken. Uh, you're putting him on the left side. I think it says a lot when they do that. The other teams are saying, "Why is Kansas City so comfortable doing this?" Kind of you know red flags go up there. And the other thing is like the first half of his season last year was not good. I mean, I was I, I did our offensive line rankings every single week, and I had you know, former offensive lineman in the NFL, because one of the, the parts of that article was sort of highlighting a weak link for every offensive line. And the Chiefs started off, I think, with Andrew Wiley, and then it was Trey Smith for a few weeks. And I was getting DMs saying, Orlando Brown is the weak link on that offensive line right now. And he probably was for a couple of weeks. But midway through the season, he kind of turned it around. He had three, four games with a 90-plus pass-blocking grade and, and sort of bounced back. But, you know, if that stretch was was sort of problematic or an indication of where how bad it can get when you don't get the high-end version of Orlando Brown's play like that could spook some teams one of the most difficult things when putting together free agent lists is how to handle veterans guys that are in year 8 10 12 um, I'm on record as also saying Sam when we're building our team we're going to sign Melvin Ingram every every year. single year uh, or Justin Houston they're at 27 and 28 yep. on the list a guy like Taylor Lewan I mean that's the other thing too Luan coming off of his injuries, he has been like Orlando Brown as far as level of consistency, that 70s, low 80s type of grade year in, year out, but he's in what year, 9 or 10 in his career, closer to 10 now. Do you, does he have a market maybe on the cheap? Isaiah Wynn still out there at tackle. And then you have those veteran linebackers, the Levante Davids and Bobby Wagners of the world. With Tremaine Edmonds making all that money, how much do you just, you know, do the one-year Bobby Wagner, one or two years of Levante David? Those dudes can still play, especially for teams that have championship caliber or championship aspirations and might have a hole at linebacker. Yeah, I think now we're getting there, too, where, like, the, the big ways have happened. You start talk, talking to those guys, you know, friend of the show, Taylor Lewan. Uh, I guess more <laughs> relatively, not about breaking news, but uh, Jordan Schultz at the score. So the Eagles are trying to secure a long-term deal with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So I think that is the indication with moving on from Slay. We're going to reallocate those resources elsewhere in the secondary. The other uh, interesting name available, I think, on the offensive line is Isaac Sayamalu. From, coming from that Eagles offensive line, the best offensive line in the NFL last year, has experience starting at both guard spots, um, was really good last year at right guard. But how much – that's another one of those things where how much does the environment matter? How much does best offensive line coach in the NFL, best offensive line in the NFL, and a system – that at this point is probably helping out their offensive linemen to a degree. When you strip all those things away, how valuable is that guy in isolation? It's a good question. I do think, like you mentioned, the ability to play both sides is huge, though. He's been he's graded very well as a left guard and a right guard. Little injury, you know, history and concern there, but nothing crazy. Uh, I'm kind of surprised he's not come off the board yet because the interior offensive linemen have done very well so far. Yeah. See Ben Powers get $13 million a year. A lot of guys, him, Dalton Risner, we're still waiting on a handful of those guards that I think should do pretty well. How about all these top 10 free agents being Eagles? 
Yeah. Uh, but coming in, James Bradbury was in our top 10, as was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, both of those guys who, again, they, they got off the, off the trash heap, basically, for nothing. And then they became top free agents. Again, I think it just shows what, uh, what the Eagles have done from a team-building standpoint, especially the last couple of years. And then, obviously, the other name is OBJ. He's done his workout. Yeah. Look great. I was gonna. I was gonna use him as a segue to the Jets. Uh huh. Yeah. So, do we want to do uh, day two winners and losers or anything like that, or do you want to just jump right to uh, Aaron Rodgers? I mean, there wasn't. There wasn't a ton that happened yesterday to change the day one winners and just losers. Just the Lions. We already talked about the yeah, Lions. Lions. They're winners. Lions are definitely me, a winner. What about what about losers? We put in air quotes. I definitely put that in air quotes. But teams that might you know fans, uh, Eli back there. He's a little. He's, he's wondering what the Bengals are going to do. Mm. He's wondering what Cincinnati's doing as they lose both of their starting safeties and Hayden Hurst. Well, I think there's teams where you can sort of say that's the that's the question, right? It's like what what are we doing? You know, there's some teams that it makes sense they're not going to be spenders. There's other teams that are making moves, and again, it's trying to tie all the patterns together and say what is the approach here? Like, so, so the Raiders are one, right? What are the Raiders doing at the moment? I know what they're doing. They're trying what? to get better. Yeah, well, everybody's trying to get They're trying to get, to get incrementally better. better. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Myers, they're getting incrementally better. Over I think what? a better question is what the Patriots are doing. Well, hang on. Incrementally better. So last year, they had Derek Carr and theoretically Darren Waller, or at least Darren Waller was on the roster heading into this year. Now, they have Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Myers, yeah. but not Derek Carr. Is that better? Well, incrementally worse. <laughs> we know now that Josh McDaniels was not invited to Darren Waller's wedding. We do. And we know that there was a, you know, um, is she in the W? Uh, with Kelsey Plum. Kelsey yes. Plum. I don't, I don't follow the Very WNBA. good player. Very so good she's player. very good. She was quote tweeting that, you know, Josh is mad that he wasn't invited to the wedding. So there's, there's more to it, the Darren Waller trade. So they shipped him out. So Josh is back at it again. Mm. You know, being a, a people person as a head coach over there in Vegas. <laughs> Real people person. Yeah, I thought there. things would go different this time around. It's not looking like they are so far. <laughs> uh, I would just say, if we're going to talk winners and losers, I'll throw a couple in there. Not massively, but we mentioned Stephon Gilmore. I also like Dallas retaining Donovan Wilson and Leighton Van Der Esch. Both, I think, fair deals, good deals. And then Pittsburgh, under the radar, a team that does not really venture into free agency, but getting Larry Ogunjobi back on a three-year deal and bringing in Cole Holcomb. They need to do something at off-ball linebacker. Last offseason, with Devin Bush and, and Miles Jack. Uh, Holcomb's a pretty good player. He got hurt this year, but a true three-down guy, can cover pretty well. Uh, a good mic in that system, I think, will, will work out very well. So for a team that doesn't really venture into free agency, you know, Pittsburgh does these little mid-tier things, and, and it yeah. tends to work out for them. Um, just to finish up the Waller thing really quick, I, I'm, I was pushing for them to keep him because I tend to ignore injuries. I tend sure. to forget injuries and think about what's the upside play here, right? Most teams care about injuries. And they're like – it. I don't think it's the Raiders surrendering or anything like that by trading Waller for a three. I think that's – I think they're fine. Um, I do want to talk Bengals and Patriots really quick before we get to Rodgers, though. Because the Bengals lose Von Bell and Jesse Bates to free agency at safety. They lose Hayden Hurst. And then from a uh, – that's kind of expected, though. They yeah. have to pay Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase in the next couple of years. they got to figure out T. Higgins. Certainly one of them. I mean, Bates was always gone. The Losing Von Bell at the same time – I think. I mean, Lou Anarumo is quoted as saying that would be a very dark day, you know, if it came. And since that, since it's happened, the sun was out yesterday here in Cincinnati. Yeah, well, since it's happened, all the Bengals beat reporters have been like, "So, uh, what's it like on this really dark day?" And he's, ah, you know, we'll make it work. But like, losing both of them, I think, is a potential blow. Obviously, one of them is theoretically future-proofed again with the the signing of Dax or the the drafting of Dax Hill. Like, 
but losing both could be a, could be problematic. What can the Bengals, from a cap standpoint, actually keep Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins for the foreseeable future? Their cap is fine. It's not a cap issue. It is a cash and escrow and contract structure and guarantees. Like that is the actual issue. Their cap is very, very healthy. They've done a phenomenal job in bringing in, you know, Mike Hilton, Trey Hendrickson, Shadobia Wuzier, like good, good value free agents on on strong contracts for the, t- the club. It's not a salary cap thing. It, it, it's a, you know, how much cash is the owner willing to spend? Also, we mentioned all the guys they lost. I thought Jermaine Pratt was a goner, but uh, I think another very fair deal for the team, uh, about $7 million a year. Um, you know, a good early down linebacker, you know, thumper. I think a good fit in that defense with the other, you know, Logan Wilson and the other guys they have. I that was, a, you know, a good retention. That's a really nice re-signing. Like, he, he's kind of the poor man's Tremaine Edmonds this offseason, a guy – more coverage uh, slanted than than run defense coming off a career year. Like all all the sort of elements of the Tremaine Edmonds thing exist for Pratt just on a slightly lower level. I think getting him back for pennies on the dollar relative to Edmonds is is a great deal for them. Um, and then I just wanted to touch on the Patriots really quick. They re-signed Jonathan Jones pretty quickly at cornerback. Um, and then other than that, it's been bringing in uh, Calvin Anderson as a swing tackle, maybe competing for a starting job, Riley Reef. Swing tackle, competing for a starting job. We've talked a ton about the Justin Herberts and Joe Burrows and all these first contract quarterbacks and Fields and how you, the Bears are going all in with Fields, right? Draft capital and receivers and all that stuff. I know Patriots fans were waiting for receiver one. When, when are they going to trade for New Hopkins? How are you going to build around Mac Jones? Still never flashy in New England. Never flashy worked really well when Tom Brady was your quarterback. Well, but do yeah. they have to become flashier? Tie them to Houston as well, because obviously Nick Casario is now in Houston, and they're running the same playbook, which is you're making all these like moves 35 through 45 on the roster, but the first 35 guys on the roster aren't good enough to do that. Like Those moves look like the sort of Patriots genius during the, the, the glory years when you have the nucleus of a championship-caliber team already, but when you don't, it's like, are we even getting better here or are we just changing the, the decor? What's interesting to me, and yes, it is still early, but that we are used to the Patriots not doing much. But we saw a couple of years ago them go crazy in free agency and a ton of players on big contracts. Obviously, they've now traded Johnny Smith. A lot of those deals have not worked out. But we talk about a lot. The quarterback going into the third year of his rookie contract, we're seeing the Bears go crazy like we've seen all these teams in the past. To a degree, unless they make a big move later on, it's kind of a signal they don't really believe in Mac Jones to me. Like, if they do nothing in this free agency period, lose Jacoby Myers, trade Jonu Smith, don't add a legitimate tackle, lose, you know, Isaiah Wynn, to me it's like, are they kind of waiting for the next quarterback before they are aggressive again? I don't even know if it's that. I really don't think Belichick has – I just don't think he's changed. I don't know what happened two years ago (laughs) that they did spend half a billion dollars uh, within two days of free agency. (laughs) Like, they went nuts two years ago. But it it didn't like it, it hasn't they're not cash strapped right now. Not at they all. have Cap, a ton of money. Health. Yep, yep. Um, I don't I don't know if Belichick just changed it. Like the the day that the year that Brady just left the building, they just you know traded down in the draft and didn't look at quarterbacks and drafted a safety in round two. It was just business as usual, and it remains business as usual when they probably have to make some more drastic moves. Well, the only thing that would be a signal that they don't really buy into Mac Jones would be if they don't do anything significant to find like a true number one receiver in that offense because obviously there isn't one in free agency like Myers was the best guy available and he was leaving New England um maybe and they they're bad at drafting wide receivers early on so presumably they're not looking at the draft and saying we're going to fill this spot with our top pick maybe 
they target tight end in the draft because a they're better at drafting those guys and b it's a better class but like the obvious move is the trade market the one that we've been talking about whether it's new copkins whether it's brandon cooks again you know whether they find some kind of answer at number one wide receiver in in the trade market but you need to get aggressive in that but if they just sit here and go this is our wide receiver core plus you know random draft pick plus maybe a tight end somewhere that's not a great sign. Yeah, well, Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton, and Kendrick Bourne with Hunter Henry, you know, there's no number one option there. Uh, and you're not going to get, I don't think, a number one receiver in this class, at least not right away. I think more, though, still for them, though. Just they care about the trenches a ton. They've shown that over and over again. Yes, they have some good players there. Um, but I thought they were going to be in the mix for some of these tackles. And, again, it's early. Um, I think Orlando Brown's still potentially an option there. I'm sure Belichick, you know, a guy wanting to play one position and being headstrong about that, probably the opposite of what he's looking yeah, for in a player. Um, but, you know, there's still time. I kind of want to see Orlando Brown and uh, Trent Brown bookend tackles just for oh, just for size. Draft Dewan Jones <laughs> as well. Just have the biggest dudes you could ever find. See that? It's like a fun. throwback to the late 90s where everybody weighed 340 and didn't have to move anywhere. That would actually be pretty fun. Um, the one last thing is about New England. I, I only bring them up because – they're in the division that's going to have the Buffalo Bills, who are you know the champs in that division, multiple years now. The Miami Dolphins and all the moves they're making. Tua running the show with the Tyree Kills there, Jalen Ramsey. The New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Look at you. First segue was taken away and you go Rodgers. find another one. <laughs> and uh, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do? But like, how does New England even compete in this division? So yeah, Rodgers to the Jets. And I'm going to ruin my segue really quick because the chat was complaining. Steelers fans. About what? I didn't even think Steelers fans listened to us. I said they did a good job. I know. And they complimented you. They said, oh. thanks for the five seconds on the Steelers. And then they said, well, Steve just moved on. Also, so I just want to say, good job, Pittsburgh Steelers. Patrick Peterson coming in. I, you know, we'll see how that goes. Give them five more seconds and then move on. Chris is, Chris is hiding over here. He knows. Yeah. He knows. He knows what happens with Pittsburgh. Right? He knows what's happening. you gotta, you got to be oh, careful he's been with there, Pittsburgh yeah. people. Yeah, he's got himself into trouble, too. He's doing, you know, he does a couple games there every year. and it's Who hasn't been in trouble? Look, over the last decade, fans. they've spent the least of any team in the NFL in free agency, which is a good thing. They're drafted and developed. They go 500-plus every single year. Um, the times they do foray into free agency, like I mentioned, they have the best bang for your buck of any team. Um, these small mid-tier deals, James Daniels last year, stuff like that. Here's your 10 seconds. I think it's been a great offseason for them. Um, no, sky is the limit in Pittsburgh. Sky's the limit. I mean, Kenny Pickett, baller. George Pickens, baller. It yep. is, uh, as our friend Pony would say, it's it's Montana to Rice. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> yeah. Pony. Pony's got some takes. Their uh, <laughs> like their issue this offseason has not necessarily been a personnel one. It's like, how do we get more from the personnel we have without yeah. changing the coaches? Because the coaching staff on offense is the same, right? right? So they need to figure out how you unlock more dynamism, more threat from that offense whilst effectively keeping the personnel the same. Now, I don't have a smooth segue, but let's talk Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. Nice. Aaron Rodgers has his, uh, he's got a wish list of players. God, it's beautiful. I, I'm just saying, if I was making a wish list, I would, I'd, I'd reach a little bit higher than my old friend Randall Cobb. But, well, you're, it, it's a question of what your motivation is, right? Is your wish list designed to make the best team around you humanly possible, or... Is it get your buddies a bag? I think it's a mix of both. <laughs> a healthy mix of both. 
Alan Lazard, is he official here? Alan Lazard's official, four years, $44 million, which is a solid deal. Um, I think actually he's a great fit in that offense. They obviously have these similar run scheme as, as, as Green Bay with Nathaniel Hackett there. Always been a great blocker. You're not really going to ask Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore to do a lot of blocking, so it makes a ton of sense. You get Mercedes Lewis also on the wish list in there. And I'll tell you this, I think Odell Beckham Jr. to, to the Jets is a realistic thing. Um, obviously spent time in that area with the New York Giants. On his there, There's a, a loftier wish list uh, you know, player in yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. Um, hey, McAfee starts in an hour and a half, whatever it is. Maybe we'll find out then. I do think Aaron Rodgers will eventually be a New York Jet. Do we just stay and go head-to-head with McAfee? You know, we'll just stay live and steal some of his viewers and all that. You know, we could do that. The, the wish list, though, was fascinating because somebody had a quote somewhere where Rodgers talked about all these guys before they became a wish list, right, where he just started naming – all these players on the Packers that he termed glue guys, you know, the, the locker room presences, the guys that make the, the whole thing function from a sort of behind the scenes point of view, even if from the outside, it's like, what is Randall Cobb bringing to the table here? Um, so he's basically put all those guys on the wish list with OBJ, uh, which from a Jets point of view, I mean, the whole thing is fascinating because Rodgers has them over a barrel. Like the Jets are now in this position where it's Rodgers or nothing. Like Rodgers, or maybe do we pivot to Lamar Jackson and hope we can make something special happen there? Do we go crazy in the draft to try and move up from 13? Like, it's Rodgers or a bust. So they kind of need to do whatever the hell he wants them to do, which isn't necessarily in the best interest of the Jets. Yeah. It's, uh, he's really trying to bring, it's not even necessarily the best. Like, Ellen Ellen Lazard, I like the fit, right? Because. Alan Lazard, when Devontae Adams is there, mm-hmm. is it, he's going to run some slants. He's got good chemistry with Rodgers, big you know, size and all that stuff. He just he brings something to the table as a possession receiver. When you have to rely on him by himself with no Devontae Adams, but the other thing it's is, trouble. It is. Like, again, in a vacuum, Alan Lazard to the Jets, fine. It makes perfect sense from a schematic standpoint. He's a decent player. It's a good addition. The problem is... Everybody now knows what this wish list looks like. And when the Jets phone them up and say, hey, you know, we're interested in signing you, like the price tag is going up. So Rogers get, or, uh, Lazard gets four years, $44 million. What was the price before the Jets started calling? And what is the price now when the Jets phone up OBJ and say, let's make a deal? It sounds like per Diana Rossini, he wants 15 to $20 million a year. Odell does. I just don't see how, especially after Michael Thomas signs a one-year flyer, similar situation, obviously the injuries, all those question marks, how he gets that number. Uh, you know, I, the Rodgers as your agent clearly is working for a lot of people. On Lozard point, though, very interesting. Uh, the Denver Broncos were in the mix there and tried to sign him. That came out last night. Um, does that mean Cortland Sutton trade is, is in the works or, or is potentially percolating? You know, I know we're trying to talk with the Jets, but no, I think no, it's interesting, a- you know, the if they brought in Lazard, they were not also going to keep Cortland Sutton with Tim Patrick and all the guys they have there. An interesting wrinkle in this whole thing as well. That's Sean Payton trying to get his Marcus Colston is what that is. He was, Lazard was going to be his, his big slot working the seam for Russell Wilson. Um, if, if Aaron Rodgers gets his wishes, uh, first off, Randall Cobb probably doesn't even make the team. But Garrett Wilson, OBJ, if he, if he does show up, Alan Lazard is your three. Uh, Elijah Moore is probably the odd man out there, especially if uh, old man Cobb does show up. He's not as old as he seems, but um, your boy Denzel Mims, mm. over. Corey Davis yeah. has, hasn't been officially released yet, but he's going to re- get yeah. released for almost nothing yeah. um, in dead money. So they're completely overhauling the receiving core other than Garrett Wilson. But Garrett Wilson with Aaron Rodgers probably puts up Devontae Adams-type numbers. Yes. Wilson is legit. Yeah. 
So this can work. Oh yeah. This can work in New York. And it's it it seems it's funny that Rogers has this and that. But like these pieces fit. Like the pieces that he's suggesting fit. The the one question is is OBJ as your receiver two coming off the injury, can well, you get him yeah. at the right price? And I do think there'll at least be some other market for OBJ besides the Jets. It's a question of how many of the guys on his wish list have to come for this to work. Like if he ends up successfully negotiating an additional deal for you know, Mercedes Lewis, Randall Cobb, Robert Tunyon, like these are players that don't necessarily fit. Um, but certainly bringing in some of these guys that Rogers like, A, they fit. B, it does make some sense. Like we've seen that Rogers, earning Rogers' trust as a new wide receiver is not necessarily easy. So as much as we think, hey, Garrett Wilson plus Aaron Rodgers equals stats of the moon, like Rogers is going to take some time before he's decided he trusts where Garrett Wilson is going to be, that he's going to will- be willing to throw him those back shoulder plays in single coverage. You know, the trust is there, all those kinds of things. That's going to take a little bit of time. So having a guy like Lazard, who he at least trusts, even if Lazard is limited and, and can't necessarily win in as many different ways, is probably an important part of the transition if it's going to work overall. Um, Rogers will never be petty or anything. You know, he was firing passes at Tristan Watson's ankles when he ran the wrong route last year. So it's just such well, a Watson was awesome. It's just such a crazy dynamic that we've got Rogers essentially issuing this list of demands like it's a hostage situation. It is a hostage situation. <laughs> well, now the reports it's between the Jets and the Packers to figure out compensation. That's the other thing too. Like both teams want this to happen. With what are the Packers asking for? What are they actually going to get back in all of both this? Both teams want it to happen and neither side has any leverage whatsoever. Like the Jets we just talked about, they, they have this or bust. And from Green Bay's point of view, they've already basically said, we don't want you to be here anymore. Like both sides want this to happen and neither side has any bargaining chips to take to the table. So it's like whose desperation is more important here? The big quarterback news finally dropped. Baker Mayfield going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Is he a, is. is official. He is a buck. Let's go. A mighty Let's roar. Go. Shout out to Sloan Analytics Conference. We were working on that deal. Jackie partying, Davidson, Kevin Demoff, and I. You getting a cut? Don't want to say. Don't want to say here on the <laughs> there air. Was, there was but no we were, tampering at the Sloan Sports Analytics Oh, I would, I would. I'm sorry. Can we just cut that from, <laughs> can we just cut that from the live show? Mm-hmm. At Sloan in the joke. green room, we had zero discussions about Baker Mayfield, a pending free agent, sorry, we've got prior that. to the legal tampering time. Right. That did not happen no. whatsoever. We've got that five-second you know, buffer thing, so yeah. you can quickly scrub it. Five-second yeah. five buffer. Yeah. Between that and Ray Lewis's lawyers, it's I got a lawyer up. Legal we're, we're off the rails now. Brad, yeah, you, anyway, uh, so Baker Mayfield. I, I mean, look, if you're looking for Caleb Williams in Tampa, I think this is a great signing nice. uh, for the Buccaneers. There's my segue. I, I'll just say, you know, I love every offseason we get there. We, we believe in this guy. He's the future. Never has that been less believable than it was with Kyle Trask. Uh, and so now we get Baker Mayfield. So I shouldn't, like, respond to the email chain or anything like, hey, this thing came true that we never talked about. You shouldn't do that or anything. You don't want to put it in Just writing. Dig in yeah, 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 yeah. I shouldn't. It's got to be an oral thing only. Um, so the Bucks, they just needed a quarterback. They found one. Well, yeah, they found one probably. Can our guy it. Baker rejuvenate his career? He gets to throw to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of out. I'm out on Baker until we see, you know, more than we've seen. I'm done. Whole new offense and everything. This is, this is his time. Yeah. You think now? As long as you fly him to the game, you give him the playbook, you give him the game plan a day before – you fly him in, 
you know, sight unseen, hand him the the game uh, the game plan and just say go. Well, it's like he'll be fine. It's like the way you know Will Levis. His accuracy seems to improve the more difficult the situation. Like his sort of his accuracy relative to expectation goes up when he's under pressure. The more difficult the pass, the more accurate it seems to be. The the ones the worst misses are the wide open plays. I feel that's kind of like Baker's game overall. Like the more awkward the situation, the better it is he plays. And then just when it's a routine Sunday. That's when he plays like a disaster, and you need to end up cutting him. He's been on four teams in eight months now, which is might be a record. Pretty impressive uh, to be on four different teams in eight months. After multiple like offenses, when he was in the one team for a he had a stretch. different a different offensive coordinator. What all four years in, in Cleveland? Except uh, what back to back years with Stefanski. I guess Freddie it. Kitchens was like the running backs coach, and then became the head coach. So it was some continuity there. But yeah, always turnover. Dave Canales from Seattle, the, the new offensive coordinator uh, in in uh, Tampa. Hopefully, they can give him a playbook and let him learn one thing for more than two months. It's interesting because Tampa Bay's had to, you know, they they went all in to to win Super Bowls. You know, to win with Tom Brady, they've had to get rid of some of their veteran players. They did bring back Jabal Dean, so. Um, they had, still have some pieces there, and it's the NFC South. I mean, we're talking Baker Mayfield at quarterback along with Derek Carr and the Saints, the Falcons if they're rolling out, Desmond Ritter, and then whoever the Panthers draft at one. Still a wide-open NFC South there. I mean, this is not a move, though, that says, you know, we're contending this year. No, it's Even bridge. in that division. It's a bridge. Yeah. Look, they were in we, – we, we always talk about the moves that are made, right? The Bucks got Tom Brady. But before they got Tom Brady in 2020, the alternatives were bridge-type quarterbacks, right? They were in this spot a few years ago. They happened to be the team that won the Tom Brady sweepstakes between them and the Chargers or whatever and changed their course of history. And now they're just back to where they were after they moved on from Jameis Winston back in 2019. It's bridge quarterback, and, you know, they're going to be in the market to draft or trade up or just wait till next year and see what happens. I think it's Mark, uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, probably the best trio he's had, I would, I would imagine, uh, you know, thinking of all the different trios he's worked with in the last eight months, like I said. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like him with big body receivers too, not with technicians, more with just guys you can throw it up to uh, and let them go make plays. I, I think it's a fit in a lot of ways. Only up to $8.5 million on a one-year deal, so definitely a bridge to the future. It's a bridge. Their, uh, their offensive line is going to be interesting because they're going from by far the fastest average time to throw in the NFL <laughs> with Tom Brady to – Baker Mayfield, who will not be, which is kind of what, like, that was what the Steelers' dynamic was this year, going from Roethlisberger, who was that guy beforehand for the last two years, to whatever combination of Trubisky and Pickett it was going to be, each of whom was going to have a significantly longer average time to throw. And it didn't massively negatively affect Pittsburgh's offensive line. Like, they generally stayed more or less where they were in terms of pass-blocking efficiency, the ability to keep their quarterback upright, can Tampa Bay's do the same? Because that was already getting problematic by the end of the season with Brady and getting the ball out of his hands immediately. Um, now they're going to be going to a quarterback who holds onto the ball a lot longer. Does that line maintain its level, or does that start to fall to pieces? Question marks at guard at the moment. Uh, left Luke, tackle. Luke Gottecki might move to right tackle with Tristan Wirfs potentially moving to left tackle. There's probably that's probably three spots there that Tampa Bay would like to improve upon if they can um or at least are worrisome yeah that are at least why ryan jensen coming back at red center and tristan works wherever he plays yeah both very very good all right so um rogers and the jets i think it's all gonna it's all gonna happen right <clears throat> he's not gonna retire it kind of has to right i mean at this point rogers has been 
giving them a shopping list, it would be kind of crazy, albeit hilarious, for him to then go, thanks for that, guys. Now I'm going to retire and go, you know, do whatever. Uh, as much as there's a standoff at the moment between the Jets and the Packers, figuring out exactly what this is going to look like, again, we just talked like both sides need this to happen. So eventually somebody has to blink and make this deal go through. Like, it just, it makes, everybody needs this to happen, effectively. I assume pick 13. The Jets, not, the 13th overall pick has to be in this in the mix here. But two firsts is likely rich. Definitely not two firsts. I wouldn't be shocked if 13's not in it. We'll see. I mean, That the, might be the holdup. Like, one side is saying 13, and the other side is saying not a chance. Yeah, it's obviously a different situation. I don't think Brett Favre was coming off back-to-back MVPs. But his was interesting where it was very, like, tied to, uh, you know, he was a fourth-round pick, a third if he played a certain amount of snaps, a second if he made a certain playoff game, you know, like one of those. Yeah, yeah. I think we could see a similar situation uh, with, with this. Like a conditional, heavily conditional pick here. Makes the AFC East all the more interesting. We know the Dolphins have been super aggressive trying to get over the hump against the Bills. And this puts, look, if Rodgers plays even as well as last year and the Jets' defense plays at a similar level, they're right up there with the Bills. And there's a chance Rodgers, still only 40, can look pretty good out there. That's the other element of the Patriots not doing anything, by the way. They're in this division that is like a microcosm of the entire AFC where everybody is engaging in this insane arms race to be as good as humanly possible the bills are kind of already there and still adding miami is swinging for the fences trying to match buffalo while they have the quarterback relatively cheap the jets theoretically are going to be adding aaron Rodgers to the mix which catapults them into the same kind of conversation meanwhile new england is sitting there with mac jones and no weaponry and offense doing nothing except twiddling their thumbs yeah that's how they that's how they operate doesn't feel like it's going to work. Every four or five, even in the Brady era, every four or five years, they're like, oh, maybe we should go get Randy Moss and Wes Welker. And even then, it was like it was a fourth and a second. It just happened to really work. Every now and again, New England would say, hey, we should go get some great playmakers. I mean, they need to find out what that is this time. Like, if they need to somehow manufacture a deal for New Hopkins on, you know, a, a dramatically reduced contract for a fifth-round pick, that changes things. But if they don't do that... They're in trouble. Yeah, I don't know if Nuke wants to reunite with uh, Bill O'Brien, but uh, you could also, on that point, sell, hey, going from Joe Judge and Matt Patricia to Bill O'Brien, it yes. was our offseason splash, right? which is honestly not an unfair argument. <laughs> it is uh, It's quite the splash there. So uh, McAfee's going live right now. Don't leave. Don't go see McAfee yet. No, he's going live at noon, right? Rogers is coming on at 1. At 1. Yeah. All right, over, under, or odds. Odds that he actually says something of substance because it sounds like if the reports are true the reports are out there that it has nothing to do with rogers anymore is he just going to say yeah, i'm ready to go to the jets they're going to work out a deal i can imagine him waffling and not saying anything he's gonna wait till friday he's gonna wait till march madness starts or something isn't he <laughs> we should take bets on like all right confucius Karl marx socrates who, who who do you got as the the philosophical quote mm. he pulls to start this show uh, it feels like a Sisyphus kind of thing. Sisyphus? You know? Constantly walking the stone up the hill, only to see it walk, like roll back down once he's did done. It, did anyone decipher the tweet he had the other day? The Rasul Douglas one where he said Sewell with a yeah. laugh? That was, yeah. Oh, that's what that was? Yeah, that was about Rasul Douglas, who was ah. tweeting, tweeting that he had Rogers' phone uh, and was going to break some news. And then, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought there was something. I thought he was calling like Sully from Southie or something like that. No. And he just you know had a little typo. <laughs> That's great. We got anything else? We got a lot of people here hanging out 
talking to us during free. Want to do question round again? Anyone have any questions? Yeah, yeah. Fire some questions into the chat. We'll wrap it up. And uh, we'll be back whenever Aaron Rodgers says nothing. I guess mm. while, we're, while we're biding time, a couple deals I thought were great. Arden Key going to the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. Uh, reunites with Rand Carthon, the new general manager. They were in San Francisco together. I love stealing him away from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good inside-outside pass rusher. Gets the same contract as Demarcus Walker, who left to go to Chicago. Bit different player, a little bit, a little bit smaller, but I thought that was a great signing. So and they, you know, they let Bud Dupree walk as well. So they've, they've effectively, I think, upgraded that position or uh, along that defensive front and got a guy who has developed into a really productive situational still pass rusher and you just uh for the 79th straight show managed to get a shot in on bud dupree i just said they let him well go. done speaking of pittsburgh steelers fans and loving you know loving yeah. the show great job by the steelers moving on <laughs> from bud dupree I simply replacing said him with Allie Highsmith. they let him go i didn't call him bad Allie dupree Highsmith. this time you Ooh. did not. Speaking did of not. fan bases, I probably pissed off this week. I made fun of the Colts for signing Matt Gay <laughs> to a record contract, but I love the Samson Ebicam move. Get him last night, three years, $8 million a year. Um, you know, kind of replaces that wide nine production from Yannick Ngakwe and a, another guy that we would say, yeah, the sack numbers are there, but his underlying production is not there. Um, and I like him too with Quiddy Pay and, and Deo Dengbo, kind of the big, big body defensive ends. You bring in Ebicam as, you know, a different outside guy, greater collapse in the pocket, doing a lot of different things. That was a great, great oh, signing. We didn't cover yet did we Rashad Penny getting signed by the Eagles incredible which is phenomenal just because given Penny's track record behind the Eagles offensive line there are not numbers high enough for the average yards per attempt he's going to have albeit uh, for 25 carries where he gets hurt he averaged right he averaged six yards per attempt what each of the last two years yeah in limited time with Seattle but how many total carries in that time Last year, 59 for 370, including uh, negated plays, 123. I mean, he's had touched the ball 180 times yeah. as a runner each of the last two years. But there is a, uh, a hidden video on my phone, Sam, where you declared yeah. Rashad Penny uh -huh. as the best running back in the 2018 draft class. Yes, which if you just leave it at that and ask people to work out when that was themselves, it, it's better. Yeah, no, at some no. point you said that. Hmm. And, don't, uh, you know, you don't, we were going to bring it to the public when you know Penny went to the moon yeah. and was better than Saquon Barkley. His career, like, for his we, entire, maybe that's happened. For his entire career, he's averaging 5.7 yards per attempt, 3.8 after contact with 64 broken tackles on you know 341 total carries in, what, five years? Like, it's an insane, it's one incredible season, effectively, is what we're looking at all over five years. For his career. Yeah, but but it's a, a Jamal Charles level season, right? He's become Jamal Charles over the course of five years. So the Eagles basically who manufacture free yards not only because of their offensive line, but because of Jalen Hurts and the run threat and all that stuff. Bring in a Rashad Penny and going back to 15 hours ago on this show when I said, "Give me the explosive running back. Give me the guy that if you're going to schematically get a guy into space that could take it to the house, give me that guy." That's Rashad Penny. He's shown that with. Seattle. So love that for what? Three million bucks. $1.35 million. <laughs> I'm sorry, $1.35. <laughs> Nothing. Basically a minimum contract. I think yeah. the, how? the sell is come how? here, average seven yards a carry, and someone else will pay you the next offseason. You know how. He's like the most injured player how in the NFL. How he's just blushing. Like he's, he's sending the yeah. contract out, like blushing, like no way he's going to accept this. Like it's the Jason Verrett deal. Like show, get him in. If, if he stays healthy, you get like a pro bowler or an all-pro in this case, like right off the bat. But the chances of him doing that, based off previous evidence, appear to be quite small. 
I'll do a trio. The third former San Francisco 49ers defensive lineman also liked his contract last night. Charles Amenehu to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, two years. I think its base value was 18, I think, million, up to 20 uh, with, with incentives. Another one, you know, inside-outside flexibility. It was a 3-4 DN in Houston. Kind of did better, I think, on the edge and, and an even front in San Francisco. But a really, really good player the last two seasons. Um, 54 pressures last year on a 13% pressure rate. Obviously helps to rush opposite those guys in San Fran. But Kansas City – Having a very good offseason and still, you know, more more moves to be made. He's they love the moving Chris Jones around. Amenahu can move around. They it, he is just a long body that is difficult to block, and that you know it creates option it creates options for how you attack offensive lines. He's the best guy off the edge that Kansas City has now. Well, I mean, assuming yeah. <laughs> assuming that also doesn't go to Chris Jones. That's what you know. We're probably going to be hammering this home, but he's probably going to be a more productive pass rusher than. Frank Clark ever was. Yes. But will he be the uh, all-time playoff leader in sacks at any point? Probably not. But Amenehu will be better on a down-to-down basis. Well, or he could be because the Chiefs are going to get, you know, three, four playoff games every year. That's true. Plus the, you know, the extra the extra playoff game if they don't get the bye and the whole deal. Anybody have any questions in the chat? Not a lot of questions. No. Somebody asked about who the commanders are going to start at quarterback. It's Sam Howell. So says Ron. <laughs> Sam Howell is the guy. Where do the Falcons go in the draft? What do, you th- what do you think of their free agency? So they also had Caleb McGarry last night. So they've, I mean, they're going to run the ball 100 times a game. They're um, not a huge amount of money. That like, No, no. For, given that sort of that's the one team, obviously, where it made sense, right? Chicago was probably the other one, given how much they run the ball. But mm-hmm. like the best fit for him, and they didn't have to overpay to make it happen because presumably they said, explore the free agent market. And everyone went, yeah, not really. Interesting thing. He said he turned down better offers, and I know that every player says that. I can't yeah. tell you. I know one team did offer him a better contract than that, and That's he'd what rather. I tell Chris all the time. Yeah, right, right. Return to Atlanta. But like you said, yeah, 11 and a half a year on a three year deal is not a bad deal at all for him, um, especially in that system. I think he's really close to Chris Lindstrom, the right guards. You get both guys both guys back. They've had a good, they've had a good free agency in Atlanta. Their, their moves feel like last year's Jags moves. I think there's. There's just a lot of different players and positions. Not the same kind of money. Jacksonville right. seemed to overpay for a lot, but they just added a player here, a player there, hit a bunch of position groups, needed to hit a bunch of position groups. I don't know if it makes them the – I mean, quarterback's the biggest question, of course, still in Atlanta. I don't know if it makes them a great team, even a good team. It makes them better. And then if they figure out the quarterback situation beyond Desmond Ritter, you know, do they play the Lamar Jackson game? We did go into that yesterday on the show. Should they play in the Lamar Jackson game? Should they do it after the draft? There is a world where that might exist for Atlanta. Agreed. Thank you. <laughs> now it's time to go. We're done. Colton Ebucam, just uh, that's the question. Yeah, good, good deal. Yeah, yeah, great deal. Rewind 10 minutes. We discussed right, that. Right, yeah, we jumped into it. We yeah. did discuss that. We did. All right, that's it. We're done. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be tuning in to figure out if Aaron Rodgers actually says anything. I don't think he can because it's between the teams. So we're going to learn nothing in the next few hours. Go Steelers. What a, sell. what a sales pitch. Yeah, but we'll be back. Whenever we have the news, we'll go live to respond to Aaron Rodgers. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again tomorrow, 1030 a.m. Maybe earlier.